delighted to be here. This is indeed an historic occasion, uh, our first formal event in Hong Kong for Taste Asia Pacific, and my first ever visit to Hong Kong. So I'm delighted to be here and already greatly enjoying being in what's clearly an incredibly vibrant city, uh, but also delighted to see uh, this large crowd and the vibrancy of this crowd that's with us today. Uh, you are the pioneers in this room, and I strongly encourage you to look around, get to know each other, because 10 years from now, you'll look back and say, do you remember when we were in that room together in Hong Kong, and that was really the beginning of something very important going on in this part of the world. Let me just uh, uh, also welcome to this seminar uh, the delegates that we had come from a little bit further distance. We do have some friends and colleagues here from Shanghai, and I'm delighted they were able to make the, the trip from mainland China to be with us today. And of course, I extend an equally warm welcome to all of you from uh, closer by. Let me just say a few words about TASE, and then I want to say a few words about fundraising by way of introducing our speaker. As you may know, TASE stands for the Council for Advancement and Support of Education. And if you haven't heard it yet, you will hear it. A lot of people translate TASE as copy and steal everything. <laughs> <laughs> and it speaks to the remarkable collegiality of this organization and the willingness of professionals to share their best ideas and their successes and even their failures with you, their colleagues, because they recognize that when each of us does our job better, everybody benefits. TASE as an organization provides research, we provide you with information resources, we provide you with workshops, conferences like this one, uh, to help you improve your skills in the areas of fundraising, communications, marketing, and alumni relations. Collectively, we call these fields educational advancement. Today, we have more than 3,300 institutional members around the world in 55 different countries. And the opening of our office in Singapore, and more importantly, I would say the opening of Taste Asia Pacific comes in growing recognition of the interest in educational advancement throughout this region. That growth of interest in educational advancement is being driven by a number of factors here that we find in other parts of the world as well. And those factors include the need for institutions to secure financial support over and above the money traditionally provided by governments. The need to better engage alumni in a lifelong relationship with our schools, colleges, and universities. The need for educational institutions to communicate clearly and effectively with their key constituencies about their mission and their vision for the institution, and the growing importance of strategic marketing in an increasingly competitive 
and global marketplace. So we stand ready to help you and your institutions increase your effectiveness in all of these areas through a variety of programs and services. Some of those programs will focus on specific topics like annual giving today, while others will be more broadly focused on all of the advancement disciplines and how they can benefit educational institutions. And so it is I'm particularly pleased to announce that we will hold a comprehensive conference on all of the advancement areas in December of 2008, December 3rd through 5th, and it will be right here in Hong Kong at the Harbor Plaza Hotel in Kowloon. So I look forward to seeing all of you and five of your, each of your colleagues <laughs> with you at the conference uh, in December 2008. You'll have many opportunities to engage with Pace before then, and I encourage you to please stay in touch with us. We're easy to find, www.pace.org, not hard to remember. Uh, my email address is there, Joanna's is there, and of course Krista's is there. Let us know what programming you want. Case is best at what we do when we respond to your needs as professionals, uh, wherever you may be. Tell us what the issues are that you're facing and that we can be helpful uh, in uh, uh, equipping you to deal with in doing your jobs. So as I say, stay in touch with us um, and be involved with us. As we begin to put together the 2008 conference, we will be looking for some of you to be standing at the lectern and sharing your experiences with your colleagues. Because PACE is led by experienced professionals, by peers, by volunteers, and people like Bob Radinsky, your, your uh, speaker today. Bob is truly a leader in our profession. I thank him for his willingness to be with us share that expertise with you. And I'll say a few more words about Bob in a moment, but since this masterclass is focused on an aspect of fundraising, I would like to offer just a few brief observations to provide some context about fundraising. Wherever I go in the world, educational institutions are operating in a rapidly changing environment, and one of the key drivers of that change is money. As our institutions strive to enhance the quality of their services, to expand opportunities to students from a wide range of economic backgrounds, they are also facing, in many cases, either stagnant or declining government funding for their institutions. And therefore, increasingly, they are turning to private fundraising in the face of these great challenges. They're seeking private gifts in many forms, major gifts, smaller annual gifts, planned gifts, or bequests of varying sizes, legacies. There's a natural tendency to focus our fundraising efforts on major donors because their gifts can indeed have the most immediate and transforming impact. However, Case strongly endorses a comprehensive approach to fundraising that includes annual giving as well as major gifts 
and plan goals. If your fundraising focuses solely on major donors at the expense of smaller, regular donors, you may enjoy successes in the short run, but you will pay for it in the long run. A number of studies have indicated, and Bob will share more about this with you, that most major gifts come from individuals who initially made a small annual gift. So by developing the habit of giving among small donors now, you'll be developing the best prospects for major gifts later. Today you're gonna to learn from an expert in annual giving, and I will encourage you to adapt the techniques he'll share with you to your own particular circumstances. Uh, as I was saying uh, to my colleague Ricky uh, earlier, with CASE, what we suggest to you is we will share with you best practices. We don't ask you to adopt those best practices. We ask you to adapt those best practices. Think about how they fit with your particular circumstances. I want to wish you the very best as you pursue your fundraising efforts on behalf of your institutions and uh, hope you indeed enjoy great success in helping your institution to fulfill its mission. Which leads to my final point. The real goal of our fundraising programs is not the money itself. The real goal is what that money can do to advance our schools, colleges, and universities, to expand educational opportunities, to enhance educational quality, and to contribute to social progress. That is the noble work in which you are engaged, and that is the noble work in which CASE is engaged. Together, we can not only make our institutions better places, we can make the world a better place. And now, if you'll allow me, I'd like to introduce to you a good friend, a star faculty volunteer at CASE, Bob Verdinsky. Bob is an internationally recognized expert in annual giving, direct marketing, and alumni relations program strategies. He is a prolific writer and published author. He often appears in the pages of Cases Magazine Currents. He is also the author of the book that I think you found on your seats, Innovations in Annual Giving, which presents 10 case histories of advanced annual giving strategies. He is also about to publish through CASE uh, a second book with the highly creative title of More Innovations in Annual Giving <laughs> uh, that uh, we expect to have out on the, uh, uh, the bookshelves next, uh, uh, early next year. Uh, we do constantly evaluate our conferences and at each session we ask people to fill out evaluation forms and I will tell you that few people enjoy the high scores on those evaluation forms that Bob earns whenever he speaks, whether it's in the United States, in Europe, or here in Asia. So you are in for a treat uh, in uh, hearing from Bob as we explore with him uh, innovations in annual giving. So Bob, with that introduction, I'll turn things over to you. Thanks, Jack. 
Thank you so much. Can you hear me okay? People yes, in the back. Okay. You might get a little feedback when we see uh, how this goes. Maybe standing in the way that's easier to see. Um, this is my first visit to Hong Kong ever, plus John, who's now left the room. And uh, I'm on the 38th floor of a beautiful building in a beautiful city in front of beautiful people. And if this is how they treat you on your first visit to Hong Kong, I will enjoy coming back for many, many times. Uh, so thank you for being here. I want to thank John Lippincott and Joanna Motion and Krista for having me here as part of this. Uh, we've been sort of pinching ourselves the last couple of days because this all feels very uh, historic. Um, you should know how important CASE is to me. My very first conference that I ever attended was a CASE annual giving conference. And <laughs> Uh, they taught us how to conduct a phonathon there by having us hold bananas up to our, our faces. There's no fruit of any kind involved today, which may be disappointing to some of you, but uh, we've dispensed with the bananas. And so uh, not only is it uh, fun to be part of such an exciting thing uh, of any organization, but for Case in particular, for me, is very, very gratifying. And, and John always steals some of my good lines, but one of them was that, uh, you know, I think you will look back on this type of event and remember when Case was new here. And if your experience is anything like the American experience, it will become uh, a very important presence in the development of people's careers here and in this whole region for a long time to come. And I can't tell you how proud I am to be uh, a part of that beginning. Um, I would be more terrified standing here if we weren't talking about my favorite subject today, uh, which is annual giving. And so um, a couple more quick sort of context setting things. If you refer to your handouts, you'll realize there are no handouts. Um, <laughs> that's one simple reason that uh, you, I'll show you a lot of pictures today of things that other places are doing. And when you try and print them three on a page in PowerPoint, they get really small and people yell at me because I can't read the detail in the slide. So what Case is going to do is email you the entire presentation when we're done here today in, in a bigger size and living color so you can see uh, all of the things that we're going to talk about here. And so you're welcome to take notes. You're welcome to capture all of this wisdom that you'll hear this afternoon, but also know that you're going to get all of the slides afterwards. And so you don't need to write like crazy if you choose not to. And you may not hear anything worth writing like crazy, but uh, just know that about the handouts. Uh, the British are fond of saying, Bob's your uncle. I don't know why they say that, and if there's anything that I say that you don't understand uh, this afternoon, please stop me and ask me to clarify what on earth I'm talking about. Uh, you'll find that I talk pretty quickly. Uh, it's after lunch, it's early in the afternoon, I don't want anybody to fall asleep, uh, so I want to give a lot of information. That doesn't mean that I don't welcome questions, comments, uh, Bob, you're crazy. You can even say Bob's your uncle if you want. I still won't know what that means. But, uh, don't let my speed deter you from asking anything that you want to ask about uh, anything that we talk about here today. Uh, I'll be at the reception till it ends. If you have any questions you want to ask there, I'm certainly happy to talk uh, there as well. So uh, is that all fair, everybody? Yeah. Okay. Um, this is uh, going to be about annual giving, which is my favorite subject. And uh, any major gift people here? Good. Any alumni relations people here? Okay, you're allowed to stay. Uh, but you need to know for the next couple of hours, this is going to be a church service in the chapel of our annual fund here. <laughs> and, uh, and I will be leading our service as soon as I get my remote. There we go. 
Uh, first of all, just to set a little bit of context about what I really think has become a worldwide uh, idea, this annual giving. Uh, over in the, uh, in the UK, uh, the BBC is now writing about the very successful phonathons going on at British universities. Uh, just down south of here in Singapore, you've got phonathons being conducted at the National University of Singapore. Over in uh, Egypt, there's the phonathon going on over in Egypt. So what was almost exclusively this kind of American oddity, annual giving, the idea of people giving to their alma mater, uh, is increasingly now showing up in all corners of the world. And part of my message today is to make the case to you that I think what uh, some people tended to think of as that peculiar American invention, this idea of supporting your educational institution, uh, I believe is really now showing up everywhere around the world. And uh, where you might have once thought that Americans were kind of born that way, and that's why they support their schools. I want to make the case to you that it doesn't have to be the case anywhere else, and certainly not here, that, uh, that people want to express their love and their support for your institution. And if we connect the dots in their head, uh, they will choose to do so here and anywhere else uh, that we go. Down under in Australia, they're starting to make the case, help more Australians to shape the world by giving to the University of Sydney and all the other great institutions down there. Uh, some things that you might not be aware of. While it's true that some institutions in the United States enjoy really terrific alumni participation, some schools in excess of 50% uh, every year, uh, if you weren't aware of this, if you take all of the colleges and universities in the United States and average them together, 87% of alumni are not giving uh, to their school in the United States. So that makes this seem a little more attainable, doesn't it? And uh, it, it's, it, it's nice to have as a goal the success of some American institutions, but you're not as far uh, from most American institutions as you might want to believe. Uh, what I think it means is that while there are some schools in the United States that are doing this very, very well, there are many that are still learning in the same way that most of the rest of us are still learning. And I wanted you to take that as a good sign that uh, you know it's up to us to teach a culture in the same way that some American schools have been very good, but a lot of schools are still learning each and every day. My friends over in Europe uh, are still very new at this uh, idea of annual giving, and they've already enjoyed some initial success in the development of their programs. There are phonathons that uh, are now achieving 40% alumni participation rates uh, when they get graduates on the phone and ask them for a gift. Uh, some of their uh, institutions are already at about 10% giving, which uh, again is not uh, as impressive as some American schools, but you know, there's certainly reason to feel proud for what they've accomplished in a relatively short period of time uh, in the UK. And some uh, methods have really been developed in Europe and adapted by the United States. The idea of recurring giving, that I can go online and say, uh, you know, charge my debit card or my credit card $10 a month or $20 a month, uh, is really a practice that started in Europe and became more conventional in the United States. And one of my important messages today, and John, again, said this well for me, uh, that this isn't about uh, adopt uh, processes. This is about adapting processes. And I think in some respects, uh, the Americans are guilty of falling in love with methods that have increasingly become outdated. And uh, what keeps me busy when I go home to the United States is trying to re-educate my American friends that you really need to update your annual giving program with some of the methods and some of the techniques that are going on here and in Europe and elsewhere. 
So you have an opportunity to leapfrog, I really believe, uh, some American programs in particular by not just embracing old-fashioned, proven American methods, but in developing brand new uh, models and brand new strategies. If you believe that you have graduates who love your institution, then I think it's just up to us as professionals to uh, understand the ways to communicate with them and ways to educate them, that if you love the institution, express your love of the institution. And I don't think uh, the Americans need to have a monopoly on that uh, anymore as an idea. Annual giving often means uh, different things to different places. Some folks uh, want broad participation in their annual giving programs. Some programs want to use annual giving to identify major gift process. And uh, you know, you're up, uh, it's up to you to define what that means at your institution. But let me give you sort of Bob's definition of what makes a good annual giving program. And uh, you know, if you've been in development, you use pyramids all the time, right? So we'll use one for annual giving. If you've been in advancement for more than about five minutes, you've probably seen that classic development pyramid that has annual giving down at the basement or sub-basement level, right? And then on top of that, we've got major gifts and planned gifts and special gifts and statement gifts and campaign gifts and Gosh, that's a really big gift, gifts. Um, <laughs> all on top of annual giving down in the basement, right? Well, uh, as I've done this increasingly for about 10 years now, it, it occurred to me at one point that annual giving deserves its own pyramid. That, 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 that what we're accomplishing in annual giving deserves a geometric shape in its own right, and it might as well be the pyramid. So let me walk you through what, uh, what I believe is Bob's annual giving pyramid. And that starts out with what I'm calling ongoing institutional affinity. And by that I mean that uh, you know people, I think, want to think of your institution as something that they were a part of an increasingly long time ago. And if we don't remind them uh, of us, they'll file us away as something that was uh, you know, a long time ago in their life. So what are we doing to sort of beat the drum and keep them thinking good things about our institution and the good news that's going on and the good work that we're doing each and every day. Uh, if that sounds like something beyond the annual giving office, because I think it is. It's the alumni relations program, it's the public relations program. It's, it's just keeping people aware uh, that there's excellent work going on in your institution and that they're still very much a part of the family and part of the community. And unless we make an effort to, to show that to people and demonstrate that and keep them informed, uh, I don't think they're necessarily going to make an effort to teach themselves about it. So a, a lot of what we'll touch on today is how some of these other offices impact what's going on in the annual giving office. Um, sometimes I think people want to believe that successful annual giving is about changing the texture of the paper for the letters or changing the size of the envelopes that we send. And a lot of this affinity is very important to success in annual giving. You know, when we approach people and ask for a gift, do they feel a part of our community when we arrive? Or, or do we need to try and resuscitate that as part of that discussion? If you learn nothing else this afternoon, and I hope that's not the case, I want you to understand uh, the next level on my pyramid, which is what I'm calling a learned institutional culture. And, and this may be one of the biggest uh, gaps between a lot of countries and the US at this point, that it's okay to accept that your graduates woke up this morning not already behaving the way that you want them to behave. 
and that in some cases we need to grab them and shake them and teach them that if you love your uh, school, you ought to express your support by making a gift to the Annual Giving Program. And uh, I tell my American friends all the time that you know this is hard work, and our job in annual giving is not to decide this can't be done. Our job is to try and educate and create a culture that uh, people will want to raise their hand and express their support for your institution. And uh, annual giving people I sometimes enjoy hearing no, uh, maybe more than anybody else in the world. But here's my opinion, that when the day started, there are people who were ready to make a gift to your institution, whether or not you ask them to make a gift. There are people who will never make a gift to your institution, no matter what you do. But I believe that there's a big bunch in the middle that are willing to listen and are willing to decide, you know what, okay, I will make a gift. And that's where I think we come in as professionals, impacting the decision of those people. But it's okay to accept, I think, that maybe when today started, nobody was thinking about making a gift to your institution. But I think that's, uh, that's part of the trick and the riddle in annual giving, is to create that culture and inspire people to do that. If you're teaching a culture, then any uh, uh, expert annual giving professional will tell you one of the most important things that happens is making that first gift to an institution. And even though some of those major gift people will put pictures in your magazine of the very large donor with the oversized check, right? With the six and seven and eight and nine figure gift, because we want everybody to know this big gift that we got. Uh, I would argue that the, the, mo the more dramatic gift that gets made is the very first gift that somebody makes to your institution, because they're raising their hand and separating themselves from everybody walking on the street saying, you know what, I, I like this institution, I support the work of this institution, and I want to raise my hand and make a statement of my support for this institution. Above the first gift, uh, what are we doing to encourage a sustained giving relationship? Uh, it is horrifying to the schools that are able to track this information, that they spend a lot of time and a lot of energy attracting people who make their first gift to your institution every year, and a lot of those people walk in the front door and walk right out the back door and never make a second gift to your institution. So what are we doing to encourage a sustained giving relationship is part of what we'll talk about today. On top of that is what I call increased donor value. By that I mean uh, from everybody who's raising their hand as a supporter of your institution, how do we understand who might want to make a more significant statement to you? Uh, who might be really interested in philanthropy on behalf of your institution? If any of you have president societies or dean circles uh, or some very important sounding giving level, that's the work that you're trying to accomplish at that level. Uh, from everybody who's supporting us, who might really be interested in making a more significant statement? And I would, under, I would argue that among all of your annual giving donors, there are, are some people who want to be seen as a more important supporter. And how do we invite them uh, to do that with their gift to the annual giving program? At the top of my pyramid, even though I make fun of my major gift friends, uh, the best annual giving programs that I see uh, really start to open the pipeline of people who might be interested in making a major gift to your institution. And as annual giving programs mature, I have observed in other places, uh, increasingly the annual giving staff starts gnashing their teeth when somebody gets lost to the major gift program and they don't make an annual gift because now they're making major gifts. And I'm here to say that the annual giving program ought to be evaluated and celebrated 
on how well it moves people up uh, into that position. So even though uh, I sometimes uh, have fun with major hit people, I do believe that the best game engineering programs uh, start to move people up this pyramid and identify who might want to make a more significant gift uh, to an institution.